you're going to call on this day in 1984. Ray Parker Jr. was number one with this song, Ghostbusters. Parker from Detroit was semi-retired, looking after his sick parents at the time this song came along. And Clive Davis, the founder of Arista Records, was not crazy about the idea of having his artist write the theme song for a film about ghosts. Parker said, all my songs are romance songs. Next thing I'm singing about a ghost. Nonetheless, Gary Moore, uh, it's hard to go past this song. It's, it's got a permanent place in pop culture history, doesn't it? Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? Well, I, I like the words of it, actually. I thought uh, it's quite catchy. I, you always, you always um, catch me out on, on music, though, because I'm hopeless at it. And um, I've got four geeky kids that are all into music, and they could answer every question you've got. And they just raise their, roll their eyes into the back of their head when I express. I, I discovered punk rock way after it was out of fashion, you know, things like that. I don't know what you're like, Heather, but I'm... Terribly out of date. Yeah, I've I've got pretty narrow knowledge, I suppose, on music. I I had a um, I learnt to play the piano, and so I've got more of a classical bent. But oh. and my kids roll their eyes a bit too with me. They know what I like <laughs> though, so that's good. But yes, it's such a distinctive song, isn't it? And you only get a couple of notes into you know a couple of bars into that music, and that's you know exactly one, you know exactly what that song is. You don't have mm. to think about it. Apparently, and, apparently, he's sick of people coming up to him and saying, uh, "Who are you going to call?" Uh, <laughs> It's a good question, though. <laughs> and look, I watched the movie again recently, and it's absolutely hilarious, isn't it? Yeah. Twenty four. One thing. One, mm-hmm. one thing, um, uh, Wallace. I I was very consoled today, uh, the other day, when my most biggest snobbiest music kid, yeah, rang up to say how sorry he was to hear that Judith Durham had died because he'd had a staple diet of it as a kid. So I thought, oh well, you know. It's been a bad week, isn't it? And Olivia Newton-John. Yes. Absolutely. Olivia and Judith Durham. Uh, Someone says, it's great, but a complete rip-off of the I Need a New Drug by Hugh Lewis. Yes, they went to court too, and uh, it was settled out of court. (laughs) It's Mm. 20... Sorry, it's uh, 4.37pm, the panel. Now, this week on the panel, we've been talking a lot about bullying, especially in light of the news surrounding Tauranga National MP Sam Uffendam. We have heard some of your experiences and the trauma it left you with, and thank you very much for all your responses. For example, Renee emailed yesterday. Being victimised was a daily part of my school life as a primary school child. I can't recall how long it lasted, but at the time, it was it was never-ending. It felt never-ending. I was verbally bullied, socially excluded, and physically tormented. It was a cruel and shame-inducing practice perpetrated needlessly, pleasing to bullies and nobody else. This has had an impact on my mental health. That's no doubt. Uh, and I. And today we are just continuing the, this discussion by asking the question... What's a solution? What can we do to put a stop to bullying, or at least help? We're now joined by Sticks and Stones CEO, Carla Sanders. Carla, kia ora. Kia ora, how are you? Very well. Tell us a little bit more about Sticks and Stones, because it's a bit of a different model. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think what's funny here is before we started, my proposal was a model very similar to what you see in a lot of schools adults mentoring or visiting and presenting workshops. But I was very lucky that I had some teenagers that I had taught previously who I decided to run the idea past. And their feedback was, why are we only having these messages delivered to us by people who don't have an understanding of what it's like to be young today and to face the challenges we face? 
So they wanted to be involved right from the beginning ah. and for our approach to be working with young people. So you've got this kind of peer-to-peer, peer-to-peer model. So needless to say, you must, you must have some great insights into bullying amongst the young. Well, I think so. And I think, you know, the story you've just shared from Renee is one of the things that our young people uh, definitely even hold at their their tender ages. Our experiences of bullying never leave us. And I think that when they happen during those formative times, um, you know, the scars of those experiences really shape the adults that we become. So, yeah, the insights are really important, but it's changing the culture, those norms, attitudes and behaviour that we have here in New Zealand. Um, Obviously, they exist elsewhere also. Um, but that accept bullying and they accept it as something that is allowed to continue and often is brushed under the carpet. I'll bring our panellists and just another one from me, uh, Carla. Childhood bullying today, I can imagine, might look very different than it was for many of our listeners listening to, it, listening to this this afternoon. I think so. And I think with the, um, the emergence of our mobile technologies being so affordable, Um, and our access to the internet being everywhere, that what that means is some of that verbal bullying, and and again we heard Renee mention that, um, which was traumatising as it was, that's now following us home. And it's following us home in a phone which many um, you know people of my age and older will say we'll simply turn it off. But for a lot of our young people it's also a place of refuge, it's where their support networks are, it's also where they feel happy and safe. So by removing that because of the actions of those that are targeting them, we're also removing them from all of that support. So it does make it really complicated. Heather? Hmm. Um, I really liked, Carla, the um, comment that you made in the, the media story that I saw earlier today. Bullying is a behaviour. It's not a label on a human being. And behaviours can be changed. Uh, and so that's the encouraging thing here, I think. It's about working on those behaviours. But it really, when we come to solutions, it really is tough, isn't it? I mean, everybody knows they should do something about bullying. Even when you're a kid witnessing it at school, you know you should do something about it, but it's hard to. And until the bully's called out, their behaviour doesn't change. Um, Carla? Yeah, what you're saying there, Heather, is really interesting, and it links back to um, active bystander research, which emerged in the 60s. But what's really interesting is that research has actually been disproven. And what we know now is that young people and adults, (laughs) we need to have strategies to be able to call on when emotions are high. So if we're given the permission to act, if we're given the opportunity to practice things that we can do, that aren't necessarily those ones out of a teen American movie where the hero stands on a chair, gives an impassioned speech, <laughs> and everyone changes their yeah. hearts and minds. But instead, uh, small actions that they can take to get help, to maybe offer help later and not in the moment when it's so risky. Mm. You know, one of the big things we say at Sticks and Stones is it doesn't matter when you speak up, it matters that you do. Mm. So let's empower our young people and our adults with tools and confidence so that they know that there's many opportunities for them to make a difference. And just because they don't have the perfect words in that moment doesn't mean that they're contributing to that continuing. That's interesting. Yeah, Paul Mm. writes, and I was often a victim of bullying, but and this is really hard to admit, says Paul, a couple of rare times I bullied others. I'm now old, and now I'm old. Those couple of incidents haunt me and often keep me from sleeping at night. I wonder if there needs to be that message also to bullies, asks Paul. Uh, Let's bring in Gary Moore. 
one one thing that worries me is looking at my grandchildren with with cell phones and all that. That a lot of the bullying is invisible now, so it can actually go deeply into the kid, and you may not know why they're going the way they are. But but a refreshing thought is um, I've only attended one school reunion. I'll probably never go back. But the bullies, <laughs> that, I, I was one of the ones that was bullied. Uh, I didn't fit in. And, and um, How, Explain it for us a bit more, Gary. Why didn't I fit in? I didn't play rugby. No, I didn't no, play cricket. Uh, in, in terms of your bullying experiences, I mean, was it something that, um, um, how did it manifest and how did you stop it? Oh, at a boys' school, it's often physical. And um, no, I just... I just disappeared into Michelle. I, I, I was nobody else at school was interested in vintage motor cars, so I just spent my time dreaming about them. And but but one of the interesting things is that the guys that were the bullies, when I met them at a, a school reunion years and years later, what boring adults they'd become. That they they were the big thugs at school. They were the first guys to shave. They were you know all that sort of stuff. And then the, there's all these hunchback. Boring old fellas lost their hair and teeth and everything else, and I thought, oh well, I've 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 escaped all that. <laughs> yeah, maybe bullying is their way of getting noticed. Maybe they were boring mm. then too. Mm. I think well, so. And, 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 and it's the it's that. Let's bring Carla in again. Oh, I'm so sorry. I said that's a no. really important distinction to make. Is that we talked earlier, and I really appreciate Heather's um, reinforcement of bullying as a behaviour. But it's a behaviour that stems from something that we're looking for, something that we're lacking in other areas. Mm. Um, you know, whether that's control, whether that's power, whether it's an attempt to be more popular, whether it's resentment around something someone has or does not have. But I think that what you're talking about in the story from the listener that you just shared, we want to be able to create a path to redemption. And we do that by recognising that that's a behaviour that can change. And if we exist within the environment where we believe that that is a label on a human that can never change, then why do we have any kind of restorative practice in the hope ah. that So restorative, the restorative aspect of bullying um, is high in your mind, Carl. We're talking um, to the CEO of Sticks and Stones. So that, so that really is uh, important. I think I heard the head of the Mental Health Foundation talk about the same aspect, that there must be that restorative um, configuration of bullying as well. Absolutely, and it's very easily, uh, very easy for people who are engaging in bullying behaviours to dehumanise the person or people that they're targeting. And so a restorative practice will often, often involve them having to understand and hear the impact that their words or actions are having on someone else. I know in one incident that was shared with me, um, the person was asked to read out the messages that they had sent through social media aloud. And having to hear themselves say those messages aloud was when it sunk in the damage that mm. they were causing. So being able to take that ownership and not dehumanise or distance yourself from that, because of course you can't see the reaction of the other person through a screen, um, and be able to understand the impact that that has and the steps that you can take in order to change your behaviour and to to have some restorative practice. No, I really appreciate your time this afternoon, Carla. It's really a cure for your um, um for, for for your thoughts. One final uh, question and just some practical advice for our listeners this afternoon. If you do have a uh, you know a young child here um, at school and um, might be getting a bit withdrawn, uh, not communicating as much. You might suspect there's something going wrong. Um, what can one do? Are you there, Carla? Nope. 
all gone. All right, very good. That is uh, Sticks and Stones CEO Carla Sanders. And again, thank you very much for your responses about bullying across the week. Uh, you can always get in touch with me, 2101 by text, or you can email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz. It's 14 to 5, the panel, Gary Moore and Heather Roy, with me this afternoon. Now, Centrix has reported a, quote, frightening, unquote, increase in the size of home loans held by those over the age of 65. It might even be you. In June 2018, there were 118,000 active mortgages held by people in this group. That number has now risen to 134,000. To tell us why it's the case and why it's possibly worrisome, we are joined by Centrix Chief Executive Keith McLaughlin. Keith, welcome. Thank you very much. It's not necessarily the place that you'd want to be. You get to 65 and, hey, well, I've still got a mortgage. Yes, it's an interesting thing to look at because I don't think it's the number of mortgages that are such a concern, but I think it's right. the value of those mortgages. When you look at the fact that there's $23.4 billion shown on our database has been mortgages for over 65, that's up 38% over the last five years. So it's the size of the debt that is sitting there. Now, it could be for very real reasons, you know, property investment, um, a lot of reasons behind that. We don't know whether it's good or bad, but just the size of it is quite frightening. Uh, I mean, one of the reasons uh, could be uh, people have to top up their mortgages to help their kids, Keith, because this is the biggest bank in Aotearoa now, it's the bank of mum and dad. Well, that's correct. And uh, I think, you know, these days people to get on the property ladder is quite difficult and uh, parents have been called on to support. And if they've got equity in their property, Mm. then that may be the starting point for the children. Heather Roy. Yeah, thank you. It's another great topic, isn't it, for Money Week. Um, good to have these discussions. Yeah. And I just remind people again that um, my role at Financial Advice New Zealand um, is something that I should just declare. Yes, thanks, Heather. Um, the topic of reversed mortgages is really interesting to me, Keith. Um, I think maybe some people don't know much about them. And they're sort of often portrayed, particularly in the media, as a very bad thing. But in fact, for some people in the right circumstances, um, they actually can offer, well, my understanding is they can offer um, credit when when it might not be available in other ways. That that is correct. And it's it's becoming more and more popular in New Zealand. And I think that comes from the fact that there is a lot of equity and property at the moment, Um, particularly once you get to the 65 plus, uh, there tends to be a lot of equity in the property. And if people want to stay in their home and they don't want to move, um, then that is one way that they can top up their income and, and start to use up some of that equity. Hmm. Gary? One of the things that's always um, worried me, really, is seeing older people in a large old house on their own when that could house a family. And... I think one of the things we, and I've had friends of mine going through this sort of traumatic decision, you actually have to move into something that's smaller, which does release some money. And um, I think that uh, that's something that um, uh, we should be we should be thinking about. I, I think, I, like Heather, I, I actually think the reverse mortgage 
it sort of breaks up that thing of what am I leaving for my kids, mm. and um, you, right. you've and and you don't, you know, to me, um, you're dead a long time, and um, if you are able to have a reverse mortgage on your house, which means that when you die, there's less for your kids, but you have been able to have a lifestyle that is acceptable to you. I think that's fine. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it, to see elderly people who have money in the bank and think they should be leaving something for their children but are making sacrifices themselves that they shouldn't be. And often, you know, the, if you look now, mostly younger generations coming through are much better off financially than their parents were. Hang on, what? Do you think, well, do you think Heather? Uh, oh. in, in many cases, I think it is true. There's a lot of people who make sacrifices because they want to leave something for their children. Um, where in, and their children would often rather they were spending the money on themselves and mm. enjoying a better lifestyle in their in their um, later years. That's and, uh, look, possibly it's controversial. Often, I, some would say that where the generations coming up are far worse off than the generations before. Look at the price of a house. Look at what you can't have, not what you can have. Yeah, it's I'm thinking more of people who are probably in their 50s and above with very elderly parents yeah. rather than younger people entering the housing market now. Right. Hey, yeah. finally, Keith, just some advice here. Um, what's What should be, if you're coming into 65, what should be top of mind? Should we be uh, a little more careful about going into retirement with debt? My view is that debt is not a bad thing, provided it's no. there for the right reason. So if you're going to be in debt and you've got two or three properties and, and, and that's part of your retirement funding, then it's quite legitimate that you'll fear that you have mortgages over those. If you look at the average drawdown on a um, reverse mortgage, it's about 120000 um, and I think that the credit limit is about 200000 on an average. So the elderly people who are on reverse mortgages, you know, it's a very generally a fairly small proportion of the value of their property. Nice one, Keith. Kia ora. That's Keith McLaughlin there, uh, the Chief Executive of uh, Centrix. Uh, 825, 8 to 5 p.m., the panel with Gary Moore and Heather Roy. I'm Wallace Chapman, and lovely to have your company uh, this afternoon. Now, what would you say... If a prospective employer offered you a free tattoo, if you joined them, a nice rose or a dolphin, love across the knuckles, <laughs> something unique or personal to you. Many industries are experiencing staffing shortages right now, so some are trying to find novel ways to attract new staff. This incentive, which comes from the owner of Nelson Bar and Restaurant Kismet, might just Take the cake. Nick Woodley is advertising for front of house staff and along with the promise of a living wage and above, he's offering uh, a tattoo voucher, 500 bucks worth after six months of work. Nick, kia ora. Hello, how are you doing? Good, good. Uh, have you got any tattoos? Uh, yeah, I've got a few. Right. <laughs> where, yeah, did this got idea, a few. where did this idea come from? Um, well, I was... Um to a uh, company in Germany, a hotel chain that was actually advertising for staff, and they did something, well, we, we basically copied their lead because it was grabbing a lot of attention, and it got them 25% extra applicants uh, coming in through the door what? than they did before. So it actually raised the attention of the fact that they were looking for staff, and that's exactly what we wanted to do. Just because uh, a tattoo's that popular? 
Oh, is it, look, it's not just a tattoo we're offering. Uh, we're offering uh, either a haircut or a piercing or, you know, a day at a spa. Anything that you can just go after and just make sure the money gets spent on you, really. Gary and Heather will have um, thoughts on this. Can I ask you, Nick, do you, do you choose what gets tattooed on the person? Absolutely not, no. They don't even have to have a tattoo. They can spend $500 on a haircut, you know? Gary, does Jeez, this must sit- have a lot of hair. Yeah, does this well, <laughs> Gary, does this appeal to you? Well, I was talking to my daughter, who's who's one of the ones that runs our bar, and she she thought this was brilliant. And it it is quite. I was just thinking, twenty five percent increase in That's applicants. Amazing. We we advertised a job uh, last week and got nothing. So twenty five nothing on twenty five percent on nothing isn't a hell of a lot, but. Um, one of the things that Anna said, which I found really interesting, is that finally hospo is being recognised as a career without overseas cheap people. And so people are being paid properly. And it's a, it's a complicated sort of, job. Sort of. Well, well it's a complicated job because there's yeah. huge licensing laws. And, and yeah. you know, um, people in New Zealand need to, need to start thinking when they go to a bar or a restaurant or something like that and the prices have gone up. That's because people are starting to be paid properly, and that's because the cost, like we, our, our grain suppliers told us that there's 300% increase in costs last week. Wow. So wow. Those, are the, those are the sort of things that the industry's facing, as well as staff problems. All right. And I, 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 I was thinking about it. I, I, one of my favourite streets in Melbourne's Ligon Street. I love going to the Italian restaurants, and those Italians are bred to be in the hospo business they are fantastic and we need to do that in new zealand and we need to pay people properly and we need to put in whatever incentives work stay there nick heather might have a thought or a question yeah um it, it's, it's an innovative retention bonus isn't it and it does put a different meaning into inking a contract but it was mischievous <laughs> reporting really um it wasn't just about the tattoo and i'd go for the day spa but well look- it was about the tattoo <laughs> it was about 500 <laughs> bucks for the tattoo i would go Come for on. the day spa experience yeah. that would be much more my my alley but look the reality is you know i'm not sure that the living wage is enough here the the same people are um you know you, you're competing with large workforces in agriculture for example where uh, people are paid 26 to 30 dollars an hour to prune grapes so there's in in a market where workforce there's a workforce shortage that competition becomes really hard as gary will be seeing in okay his bar. so it might need to be more than 23 dollars yeah, 65 but uh, look look nick back to the tattoo um <laughs> I, I, I was actually blown away that i mean i don't know why but 75 percent of your staff had tats yeah yeah i mean it's um it's not an uncommon thing to have a tattoo these days especially um you know well when working in hospitality you, you do have a big personality i, I feel wanna... naked i have not got a tattoo <laughs> so i want to put it out to the listeners uh, this afternoon <laughs> uh, at 53 should i get a tattoo and yes. knowing me uh, through the radio what sort of tattoo should i get text me 2101. You can email me, the panel at rnz.co.nz, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. What sort of tattoo uh, should I get? Uh, Nick, all the very best with um, advertising front house staff. I hope you get the the right people. But nonetheless, um, it's tough, isn't it, Heather? Hey. Yeah, no, I will just mention, sorry, yeah. but you know, the, the living wage is just for a starting position, and we are looking yes. for people to come Good in and take you. it seriously as a career. So, you know, it's, it's just a starting wage. 
Kia ora, Nick. Thanks for being with us. And all the very best. Wonderful town you live in too, Nelson. All right, uh, Gary Moore, Heather Roy, fantastic stuff. Thanks for being with me. I'm Wallace Chapman. See you tomorrow. Power Ballad Friday, 3.45pm. Till then. Lisa Owen and Checkpoint next.